So uh, let's uh, put our hands together for Jason this morning. He's up first. Thanks, Rene. I am really excited to share my TED Talk. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think I know most people here, but for those who I don't know, my name is uh, Jason Stevens, and by trade, I'm a financial planner. Um, And this is really something God's been speaking to me about and the vision that he's given me. So I'm going to be speaking about building an inheritance for our children's children. So go to the next slide, Matthew. So can anybody tell me what is the name of this church? Oh, well done. Okay. You're listening at Convergence last year. Okay. So, yeah, this is the Sagrada Familia Basilica, and it's in Barcelona. And the, this church was started, well, construction started in 1882. In 1883, the architect Antonio Gaudi took over, um, and he was designated as the architect director in 1884. Um, since then, it's had six architects who have worked on this construction. This uh, church, rather, and it's been declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site. But what do you notice about this church? If you can go to the next slide, Matthew. Okay, it's still under construction. Well done. Um, so that means, okay, that it's been going on for almost 150 years, okay, and it's expected to be completed in 2026, okay, which I think is incredible. Um, when Gaudi was asked, or questioned about how long this project would take. He, he said, my client is not in a hurry, obviously referring to God. And that's so true. God is not in a hurry. And it's interesting because he died in 1926. And when he died, this church was only or less than 25% complete. Okay, And just think about that for a second. Imagine, imagine I shouldn't have put what I was going to say up there. Go back one slide, please. Um, everyone's reading the slides. But... Imagine starting a project today that you knew would only be completed in 2162, knowing that six generations would come through and work on your project. Okay. And just putting things into perspective. Okay, Warren Buffett was quoted as saying, someone is sitting in the shade today because somebody planted a tree a long time ago. And it's so true. Trees don't grow overnight. Okay. You can't just order a tree from Take-A-Lot and have it grow to you the next morning. Okay? And even if you did, someone had to plant that tree 20 years ago. Okay? So, for, for instance, cedar trees. Mariana's doing her research on cedar trees. And it takes 14 years for cedar trees to be established. And that's why they're endangered, because of the frequency of fires. They come through the whole time and burn the seedlings, the saplings, rather. And so what I'm getting to is trees, anything long-term, takes patience. And it speaks to foresight, patience, longevity, and perseverance, which is very contrary to what we're experiencing in this current age. Everything's instant gratification, microwave culture, now, now, now. And I want, what I'd want to do is a bit of a role play. Some of you have done this or seen this before. Um, if you can go to the next slide, Matthew. So, say for instance, I have a company, and... You have applied for the job. There's a, vac- a vacancy available. You've applied for the job, and I've given you two payment options. The first option is you can either get paid 10,000 rand a day, or you can choose... Okay, it's only a month's job. Okay, it's a temporary job. You're in between jobs. 
And you can either choose 10,000 rand a day, or you can choose one cent that doubles the next day, and the next day it doubles. Okay. And you work on weekends as well, because this is for 31 days. And it's January, March, May, etc. Okay, so who would choose the first option? 10,000 rand a day for 31 days. No, back one slide. 10,000 rand a day, put your hand up. Okay, who would choose the second option? One cent that doubles every day. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, so after 20 days, if you're taking 10,000 rand a day, you'd have 200,000 rand, my math is correct, and you would have just over 5,000 rand if you'd taken one cent that doubles every day. Does anybody want to change their mind? No one? A month. Going once, going twice? No one. Okay, let's go to the next slide. And this is the power of compounding. So after 31 days, Matthew, if you can go to the next slide. After 31 days, you would have 21 and a half million rand. Okay. And that's the power of compounding. If it doubles, if one cent doubles every day for 31 days. And you can see that after 21 days, you'd be earning more per day if your one cent doubled. After 25 days, you would have cumulative total amount that's more. And after 31 days, you'd have 21.5 million, which is a lot more than 310,000 rand. Okay. In real life, compounding doesn't work like this. <laughs> so something's too good to be true, normally it is. Okay. But what it really speaks to is, like I said, patience and a long-term long focus. Okay. So, yeah, like I shared with you earlier, the vision that God's given me for my work is building an inheritance for our children's children. And that comes from Proverbs 13.22, uh, which is a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And what I, when I initially read that scripture, what I thought is it referred to only financial wealth. But what I've realized and what God has spoken to me about is it goes beyond just um, financial wealth. It also speaks to... Um, well, the physical, in terms of financial environment, amongst other things, emotional inheritance, in terms of education, in terms of our soul education, our mind, our attitude to life. And then obviously, the other part is, well, not obviously, but a spiritual inheritance. Okay. And how we influence the faith of generations to come. So let's start off with physical inheritance and wealth, which is the area that I work in. Okay. And... I'm sure we all know this, but money shouldn't be our focus, but it is important to life. Money does make things happen, like Ned Bank says. Okay, money is not evil, just the love of it or the idolization of it is. Um, and it's interesting because 12 out of the 38 parables that Jesus used were about money. Okay, and if you're statistically minded, that's 32%, which is roughly a third of his parables. He spoke about money. Billy Graham said, if a person gets the attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in their life. And uh, John Wesley, who started the Methodist movement, said, make as much as you can, save as much as you can, and give as much as you can. So money is not evil. It's what we do with it that counts. In terms of, yeah, so in terms of the, wealth side of things. I want to teach you a little wealth hack. And um, Einstein has coined this term. 
He said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. Okay? And I want to show you an example of uh, a little scenario that I was taught when I was 20. Okay? So the f in scenario one, John is 20 years old. Okay? He invests 100 rand a month for 10 years, and let's assume a, an interest rate of 10%. He saves for 10 years from age 20 to 30 and then leaves it for 30 years until age 40, or rather 60, to compound. Okay, and Dave, on the other hand, Dave was my friend's uncle. He taught me this lesson. From age 20 to 30, he invests zero per month. Okay, and then at age 30, he only starts investing 100 rand per month for 30 years, from 30 to 60. Okay, so the question is, who has m more money at the end of the day, at age 60? Okay. Who says John? Put up your hand. Okay. Who says Dave? Dave, okay. Who's sitting on the fence? Okay. Okay. Okay, let's go to... Okay, wait. Sorry, one back. <laughs> um, okay, so John, after 10 years, so at age 30, he will have 20 and a half thousand rand, roughly. Okay. Well, on the other hand, Dave has invested zero, so at age uh, 30, he will obviously have zero. Okay, if you can go to the next slide, Matthew. Then John stops investing until age 60, and his investment compounds. At age 60, he'll, he'll have 410,000 rand, but he'll only have invested 12,000. And Dave would only have 230,000, but he would have invested three times as much. Okay, and that is the power of compounding. Okay, I saw arms fold there. <laughs> Is that true? I will show you the maths afterwards at my formulas. Yeah, and yeah, the, your greatest asset is time. So we are all relatively young and we have time. So use it wisely when it comes to investing. Okay, but it goes beyond that in terms of our physical inheritance. It's not just wealth. Okay, it also speaks to our environment. Okay, and I love this quote from Guardians of the Galaxy. It says, why would you want to save the galaxy? And he responds, because I'm one of the idiots who lives in it. Okay, and it's so true. Like, the earth sustains us, so we need to preserve it, conserve it. And my mom said to me when we were speaking about um, uh, like, uh, ethical investments, ESG investments, she said, you can't in invest in a world that doesn't exist. And it's so true. Businesses can't operate if we don't have resources. Okay. Um, Genesis 2 verses 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Okay. And that's God's intention with, with the world. Okay. He wants us to take care of it because it's what sustains us. Um, so we really do need to go... Uh, sorry about that. Okay. Um, sorry, Matthew, go to the next slide. I'm getting ahead of myself. So in terms of, uh, I saw this picture, or read an, I was reading National Geographic recently, and they had a, uh, an article about plastic. Okay. If you can go to the next slide, Matthew. Okay. And I'm not sure how many of you are aware of this, but in the South Pacific, there's a massive garbage patch. Okay. And it is 1.6 million square kilometers big, okay, 
and there are approximate or estimated 1.8 trillion pieces of plastic in it. Okay, that's the equivalent of 500 jumbo jets. Okay, and approximately 9 million tons of plastic flows into the ocean every year, and 40% of that plastic is single-use items. So think about that the next time you take plastic knife and fork or plastic coffee lid. Okay, and interestingly enough, plastic bags, for instance, like pick and pay or the shopping bags, only have a working life of 15 minutes and then we throw it away. Okay, it really puts things into perspective. You can go to the next slide, Matthew. And as I was saying earlier, in Genesis 2.15, God said, or it says, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Okay, and we really need to conserve this world that we're living in. Okay, because it needs to not only sustain us, but future generations to come. If we keep, if 9 million tons of plastic keeps going to the ocean every year, what is this going to look like in 150 years' time? Yeah, we need to change it now. Okay. In terms of emotional inheritance, okay, I want to speak about education. Okay, and this, is, this picture is just to prove that when I go fly fishing, I actually do fish, and I actually do catch fish. <laughs> Marianne didn't always believe me. Okay. Okay, but it's, I actually sent this photograph to my dad, and he said, well done, Jason. And I said, well, dad, thanks for teaching me how to fish, because I wouldn't have been able to catch it if he hadn't have taught me. Okay, and that really speaks to education, and there's that old saying that, um, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, and you feed him for life. And it's, it's so true. Um, and one of the greatest things we can do for our, our children and generations to come is to help educate them. And... Maybe that speaks to you if you're a teacher, or um, obviously if you have parents, you want to educate your children as well. Okay. Nelson Mandela said, education is the most powerful weapon you can use to change the world. Um, I don't think it is the m- most powerful weapon, but uh, I think I'd say Jesus is, but he definitely has a point. If you are educated, you can have a lot of positive change in the world. Okay, and then I want to speak to our attitude as well. I read a good book that my grand gave me called Attitudes of Amazing Achievers. And it sounds cheesy, but there are actually a lot of really good points in there, and it really got me thinking. Um, and just in terms of having an attitude of excellence, Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working for the Lord, not for men. And it really speaks to when we do things, are we just, is it good enough, or do we want to do an excellent job? Are we just doing it to get the job done? Or are we like really working for God? Okay. And I heard this quote, it's your attitude, not your aptitude that determines your altitude. It doesn't matter how clever you are. If, you're, if you don't have the right attitude, you're not really going to get anywhere. And I always love this, this. We don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. Okay. And yeah, I suppose a prayer that we can pray is, God, please help me to see things as you see them, not as I see them. Okay, and when I'd, I think when we look at things through the lens of God's perspective, it's a lens of hope. Okay, um, I saw a good quote. It said, "Today we'll be filled with um, many reasons to complain. Ignore them." And it's so easy to complain. There's so many things if we really want to, we can complain about, and it's so easy to do to get into that rut. Um, I love this quote as well. It says, a bad attitude is like a flat tire. You won't get any- anywhere until you change it. And I think that's so true. Yeah. And then I want to speak about a spiritual inheritance. Okay. 
Matthew 28 verse 19 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And I love what C.S. LaRue said. He said, we are called to make disciples, not converts. Okay? And I want to speak about evangelizing and discipleship, not versus discipleship, because I, I still believe they go hand in hand. An evangel- and I want to give you this example. An evangelist who preaches to 10,000 people a day um, will, in his lifetime, reach 117 million people over 30 years. If you contrast that to a person who disciples one person for a year, and then the next year they both disciple another person, after 30 years they would have reached 7 billion people, which is 117 million of the evangelists is only 1.4% of that 7 billion. Okay, And when I last checked, um, the Earth's population was at 7.6 billion, which means we'd have to go for another year, 31 years, to reach the whole Earth. And it's predicted that by 2050, there'll be 9.7 billion people living on this Earth. Okay. You can go to the next slide. So it's a real privilege to have my gran here, Granny Eddie, <laughs> from over from Heart Bay. <laughs> and yeah, I believe I'm standing up here today because my gran... Eddie, and my, my dad's mom, Granny Dot, as we call her, are faithful women of God, and they've been praying, I'm pretty sure, a lot for us um, over my last 30 years, and maybe more. Um, and yeah, well, Granny, I first just want to honor you for that. <laughs> thank him and I, where we're at today because of a lot of your prayers, so thank you. And it really also speaks to, yeah, just we are potentially yeah, going to have children and they will have children. And what are we, like we are called as well to pray for our children and their, their children and to leave behind a legacy of children who look to God. Yeah. Next slide. So I just want to, I like this riddle. I just want to test you quickly. What is the one thing that you do every second and in choosing not to do it, you still do it? Breathe. Okay. No, that's not what I'm looking for. Close. Close. Okay. Getting colder. (laughs) Yes. Decide. Well done. And uh, yeah, I remember in grade eight, our RE teacher he he posed this question to us, and I remember thinking about it, and I managed to win a coke for my answer. <laughs> um, and it's it's so true. There's a coffee for you. That's why the coffee's up there. Um, yeah, and it's so true. Every dis- every second, we are deciding. We are making decisions. Okay. And those decisions are like seeds. We can either decide to plant maybe good seeds or bad seeds. And those will bear fruit in generations to come, in years to come. Okay? And decisions are different to thoughts. Thoughts is something you think about. It doesn't involve action. There's that saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We think things, but we don't necessarily always do them. Decisions involve action. And secondly, um, after we've decided, we've got to 
follow those things through. And I like the acronym for FOCUS. Follow one course until successful. And coming to the end, I like, uh, I don't know if any of you have read that book by Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the first chapter is beginning with the end in mind. So I want, I want you to meditate on this, not now, but throughout the week. And just, yeah, just imagine and, and try and think into the future. And I was just thinking about it. And imagine grooming the future presidents of South Africa over the next 20 years by starting political ministry, for instance. And why, why is that impossible? It should be possible. Can imagine we start a building fund as well okay, to buy a, a church. Maybe it'll take 144 years. Hopefully it'll take quicker. Um, but even if we don't see that come into fruition, why not? Why not let's start something like that? Okay. This life is a marathon, not a sprint, and that's something I'm quickly learning. And for some of us, it's a relay. We're going to start that race, but not all of us are going to finish that race. Okay, so in conclusion, I just want to say, what seeds are you going to plant for the next generation? Thank you. Thanks, Jason. That was really... Moving and inspiring. Thanks for that. That was really awesome. David. Um, I know David's theme, but I, I don't know the latest title. But uh, let's put our hands together for David. I'm sweating. Okay. I don't have a PowerPoint. Um, there's no... Sorry, Jason. There's no numbers in my... Um, Alright, okay. Alright, so at any given point in time, in our personal relations with people and with God, it's always two people hanging around. It's the person that you have presented to others and how people perceive you, you are actively are, and then there's that person that you have in the back of your mind that you think you are. Okay. Alright, so my talk isn't about the whole self-help you know, be a better person thing, um, but has aspects of that. And um, whenever you meet somebody who would openly say that they do not have a relationship with Christ um, and have some kind of meeting with Christ, Christ being the Word of God, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, according to the Bible, connecting to what is emotional, spiritual, and physical, in any one of those levels, no matter who you are, you experience a shift. I want to lay that as the foundation, because a lot of what I have to say is, it's an overlap of what is physical and what is spiritual, it involves Christ on a molecular level, and I'm not going to mention a lot of the supernatural that was behind a lot of what is physical in my story, okay, so I need to say that. Alright, so I'm a teacher, I'm a geography teacher. Uh, in high school, that's one of the lesser sciences. Okay? Uh, when you move on from high school, it's the not-so-lesser sciences anymore. It becomes a little bit more difficult. I've been a Christian my entire life, um, many years. Um, I don't consider myself an intellectual. Um, but, you know, uh, I can hold my own when, when uh, the going gets tough and the tough get going. And, and by that, I mean I always come up with the response after the people have already left. <laughs> 
So uh, this story begins in 2014, um, fresh out of university, very rough around the edges. Um, and I was working as a waiter at the time. Uh, at the time. Um, you know, and if you know anything about being a waiter, it's a very performance-driven uh, thing. You know, you perform for some people. If you've ever been a waiter, you perform for some people, and then and you get paid for it pretty soon after, right? Um, and if you think about it, it, that can actually work in the, on the, to the evil side of any person. Um, it's not great. It's very performance-driven. Uh, the money that comes out of it can, can be good, depending on your performance. So at the end of 2014, my father, who's a praying man, sends me a picture of a post uh, available at the high school. I didn't know this high school at all. Um, it's only later on that I realized that this high school was actually named the best co-ed high school in terms of matric marks for like many years running at the time. Um, I applied and I got the job. Now, the story would go nowhere if I didn't. Um, and I just want to read a scripture from Zephaniah 1 verse 12. It says, I will search with lanterns in Jerusalem's darkest corners to find and punish those who sit contented in their sins, indifferent to God, thinking you will leave them alone. Oh, it's very interesting. I wasn't punished. Um, I was living in my sin at the time. Um, but I wasn't punished. I was blessed for the job. Very interesting. So, there I was, content to my sin, but at the same time, I was being moved into a place where my skill set was needed. I didn't know that at the time. So, when I started working there, two things were happening concurrently. Um, I'm going to lay them down individually, but you must know that they were happening at the same time. It's being presented with a door, canvas, a field, whatever you want to call it, and I was being faced with myself. And like any person who longs to open a door, I would need keys, and like any person who longs to paint a picture, I would need paint, and uh, any person who longs to grow fruit, you would need tools to toil the ground. So being faced with yourself and your skill set, your skill set are those tools, uh, paint brushes, implements to plow. You need to learn how to paint. Which leads me to my first point. In, in any work situation, you need to, not just work situation, you can, you can apply this to your personal life as well, in your spiritual life. You need to be aware of your skill set. So not one person in this planet is useless. Everyone can do something. Everyone is good at something. If you would disagree with me, I'm going to smack you. Okay? Alright, so then comes the thoughts, so then comes the thoughts, I'm not good at this, or I'm good at this, but I'm not as good as that person at doing this. I've not been given the opportunities to show what I can do. I fear, whatever, enter irrational belief here, you know. Most of the time, it's, it's just man. It's what other people think. Or I can do nothing good. I'm a tough love person, so my response to that is, so? So what? I'm good at this, but not as good as that person, so? I've not been given the opportunity to test what I can do, so? I fear, huh? So? 
I can do nothing good. Firstly, that's a lie. Secondly, so. Now, this is not meant to delegitimize how you feel about yourself and, and your skill set, if, if, that if that's what comes to mind. But sometimes things hurt because they hit home a little bit too hard. Now, I know this is what we think, because this is what I used to think. It's what I still think from time to time until Jesus sorts me out. Or my wife. <laughs> so the question arises from that is, how do I know what I'm good at and that I can use it frequently? And as a Christian, you can say, you know, ask Jesus, ask God. That's very valid, that's very true, but I think it misses the point. It misses the point. It misses the point of living. It misses the point of experiencing. And you just ask God. It's the same as being a teacher and, and telling a child, you're good at this and they don't believe you. It's because they have to experience it more. They have to follow through with it. Yeah, they have to experience. And that's what makes us human. So, how do I know what I'm good at and that I can use it frequently? And I've got a, it's not watertight, but this was my formula. My answer is this. Pay attention. Pay attention to what people ask you to do because it means you can do it. Pay attention to the problems people share with you because it means that you either have the answer or you have some sort of counsel for them. Counsel. Pay attention to the compliments you receive because it tells you who you are. And pay attention to the compliments you wanted but did not receive because it tells you who you want to be. Um, be aware, be present in every day, every situation. Stick to the positive responses, but be big about it when you get negative responses. Do they exist? After a while, you'll be able to begin to repeat what other people have said. I am a good public speaker. I am a decent teacher. I have a relationship with Jesus. So every day at work is not just another day. It's an opportunity to inject something or someone that is not there but is desperately needed. That's where your skill set comes in. You are useful and you are capable to man and God. Right. So I was sitting in the staff room one day. I just started. I was sitting in the staff room, just being present. I mean, while you're eating a sandwich, you can only be present. Just sitting, eating, looking around, listening. And I overheard two people, two staff members talking about demonic possession of all things. <laughs> I got baited. And one co-worker was quite old. He'd been working there for a very long time. And he didn't know that I was, I was a Christian and that I had some knowledge about the topic. But, so I just inquired about the topic. And I noticed up until that point he was speaking in Christianese. Yeah, the Christian way of, of, of laying things down. But after I inquired, um, his, tone, his tone changed a little bit. And, and it was kind of like I had thrown glass on the floor in front of him. He was tiptoeing, um, speaking very carefully, choosing his words very carefully. Uh, tells you something about the social environment. And um, you know, I began to realize, or I realized later on, that, that this was my door. This was the door. And um, as I spent time with this man, I realized he also had the keys. There's my door, there's my keys. 
So as time goes on, I, I begin to learn who the, who the other Christians were or who were um, active Christians and those who call themselves Christians know that there is a distinction. And we would meet once a week for prayer and, and reflection. And um, I noticed that um, there was a bit of a sadness, a bit of a depression, um, downcast. Also, quite few people were showing up. So it was, the room was very empty. I didn't like it. It felt wrong. Being Christian, it felt wrong. I began to realize that I might have the skill set to change this. Um, maybe, just maybe, I could bring some color to the melancholy two-tone grayscale set of people. And as time went on as well, I began to realize that this also was a reflection of the student body. There was a lot of depression. There was a lot of anxiety. Um, a lot of burdens which children should not be carrying. Adult problems. The situation was a canvas. needed a bit of color. Then there was a milestone in this walk. It was set down for me as something I can look back on today and say, that's a, that, that's a milestone. I was asked to give a Christian devotion in assembly. Now, anyone that knows me personally will know that I'm not an evangelist by nature, so um, if I'm asked to speak about Christ, I do it in the correct channels. And by that I mean I, I do it in a space where I know that what I have to say will be valued and listened to, much like today. So, looking back at that milestone, I must have given off some sort of, some sort of idea to the people around me that I was capable of doing this. Now, in this devotion I was to give, I was given a piece of paper, and on this piece of paper I was told all the things I was and was not allowed to say. It was mainly a list of things I was not allowed to say. And what was very interesting is I came to the part where it said I wasn't allowed to say the name of Jesus. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Especially at a school that said it had a Christian ethos. Okay. Felt like I was in North Korea. So I decided, fine. I'm not going to say Jesus because I don't have to. I don't have to say Jesus. It's fine. So I stood up in front of the whole school at Monday morning. And um, half the kids didn't know me. I only taught a, a, a small amount of them at the time. They didn't really know who I was. And all I did was tell my story. I directly addressed depression. I directly addressed anxiety for what it is and the ugly thing that it is and what it does. And, and I directly addressed how, though I am not unaffected by depression and anxiety, I'm definitely not trapped by it. That's pretty much what I was saying. And how I rely on God to set me free, but that's, that's a whole other talk. So the way devotions work in the school is that they happen twice a week, because there's two assemblies, Monday, Friday. And after assembly, all the teachers break times, so all the teachers go to, to the staff room. And on that day, I went, walked into the staff room and all of a sudden I started being bombarded with compliments. Now this is weird because I'd not seen anyone else being bombarded with compliments after their devotions. Bombarded by different people, different groups of people. Compliments coming, yeah, that was good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was, I'm like, whoa, okay, that's crazy. What's going on? So I felt a bit overwhelmed, so I wanted to go and hide in my, in my classroom, which I did. 
But on the way there, I got stopped by a matric girl. Matric girl grabs me. She, she starts thanking me for my bravery and my boldness. And so I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is getting a bit much. And then just after break, I had my grade nines. And as they were coming in, a Muslim boy walks in. And he stops by me. And I'd never spoken to this boy about religion before, ever. I knew he was a Muslim boy. And, and I quote, I'll quote what he said. He said, your soul, your devotion, your eyes were on fire. It was like God was inside of you. <laughs> so then you begin to think, after the stream of confidence, okay, maybe I did this right. <laughs> but I, still, I still had no idea what I was doing. Though. And two days later, I got called into the deputy's office. Apparently, there were some people that didn't like what I had to say. It happens. And so I knew that I'd followed all the rules. So I asked politely what I'd done wrong. And he inadvertently gave me the biggest compliment I'd received up until that point. He said, you've got too much passion. <laughs> Which leads me to my next point. In everything that you're doing with your skill set, have passion, be genuine, and speak from the heart. Humans will respond to that. We, we have to. We, we, we just naturally do. And if you do that, you'll be noticed, you'll be complimented, and your skill set will be affirmed, all without you having to strive for it. Interesting. People after that began to, many Christians, but the people began to trust me more deeply with deeper things. And like I said, there's a lot of supernatural that went on. So the social environment of the school was a cold, hard field. And I put my shoulder to the plow, and things were going. It says in Job 5 verse 7, Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. There's going to be trouble. So, a lot of us work in very high-powered places, corporates, very high-powered, very powerful people. But I want to I want to end this talk with with a with a little anecdote. A long time ago, there was a there was a king, and he had an elite fighting force, and this elite fighting force was very strong and very powerful, just as powerful as this king was wise. And they'd conquered many lands together. And one day, the king decided to, to call this fighting force in this group of men and women and, and said to them, there's a land to the north that I want you to have. And all you have to do, I'm giving this land to you, and all you have to do is raise a banner and march in. That's all you have to do. So, they thought this was very strange because they'd been fighting, trying very hard. And so they, they went and spied, they went and scouted the area out, and they noticed that this area was filled with very powerful people, very strong nation, physically strong. Their technology was more advanced. Their land was prosperous. The system of government was immaculate. Very powerful. Very powerful, powerful nation. 
And they couldn't understand why this king had told them to just walk in with their banner raised. That they would simply receive this nation if they would just walk in. So they went back to the king and they said to the king, this is impossible. This is the most powerful nation we have ever seen. We can't overcome them. And the king said, well, because you have disobeyed me, I'm going to banish you to the desert. And they were banished. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, David. You've given us a lot to think about. And thanks for sharing your lives, guys. That's really great. We've really received something this morning. Um, and I want, to just, I want us just to end off and just in little groups, as, as the guys were talking, um, I think the exercise, like I explained earlier, is you know, part of the Christian calling is to build bridges to the world. Uh, but as they were talking, I saw... Um, there's all these walls that we build, that are built up in life, and we are called to break down walls. That you know, we're called to the ministry of reconciliation. So, um, I want us just to, as these guys were talking, it was like I saw that that's the stories that they bring is that they've been breaking down walls. And I want us just to little groups discuss what are the walls in your life, what are the walls in your workplace, what are the walls um, that God has called you. Um, to break down. Um, so let's let's just do that. But before that, we do that. Um, you know, this was, was so interesting as um, the band was leading us earlier. Um, you know, the thing that really came out strongly is that these walls that separate us from God. And you know, it's so amazing. God breaks down those walls, and then He calls us to go into the world and to break down walls between people and to, between people groups. Um, but I just want to pray for us before we sit down in our groups. Um, again, just if that, if that, there's a walls, there are still walls between you and God. Um, so can we just close our eyes where you, where you're sitting? And um, God is really able, and God is really willing, and God really loves you. I want you really to, to understand that this morning. And uh, I think it was Jason that said. You know, or no, it was David that said we, we experience, we, we human beings, we're called to experience. And, and I really honestly believe that God wants you to experience His love. And not just a once off, not just 10 years ago, but I really feel He wants you to experience His love right now. And, and I know there's a couple of individuals I felt the Lord said, you need to experience it right now. You haven't felt it. Maybe for a long time you haven't felt that love of God. So Father, we pray and we thank you. As, as you've said, as you've come, God, in our worship earlier, God, you've been in this room, you're still in this room. And God, I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that needs your love, that you would come by your Holy Spirit. Lord, it's your promise. It's the promise of your word that your Holy Spirit would shed your love abroad into our hearts. I want to pray, Father, if there's anyone here, the only thing that is necessary is for you to say yes to that love. For you to open up that heart, that picture, that revelation pictures, and says, if, if God knocks, if he's standing at the door knocking, open the door so that he can come in. 
I want to ask while every eye is closed, if that's you this morning, you're not convinced. You know, and when I'm saying convinced, I'm not talking about intellectually. I'm talking about your heart is convinced of the love of God. Then I want you just to be very honest with yourself because that's the necessary part is, is, is honesty. God, this is where I'm at. God, this is what I need. Honesty this morning. And if that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. This is between you and God. You want to say just, God, I open again the door of my heart. I pray that you would flood me with your love. Pray that you would come in. Why don't you just stretch out your hands to the heavens. Thank you for those hands. Is there anyone else? Thank you for those hands. It's the last person that I feel just need to respond. You've you've been questioning God's love. You've been questioning God's um, character. You've been questioning Him because the association that you have with God is is that of hurt. You, you, you got heartbroken and, and you sort of blame God and God says to you this morning just allow me to come in because I can come and heal in fact I'm the only one that can help you in that earth trust me this morning trust me trust me that I'm a good father that I can do what I've said I will do why don't you also just raise your hand thank you Lord Father, I pray for every hand that is raised to you right now. Thank you, Father, by, by responding, God. They're saying that they need you. And Father, we thank you, Father, for your love that is in this place. Thank you, Father, for that, the, 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 the strength of, of heaven. God, we thank you that all virtue is in you. Father, I'm reminded of of the woman with the issue of the flow of blood that touched the hem of Jesus' garment and, and she became well instantly. She became well. Thank you, Father, that you come with that virtue. Thank you, Father, for your love that is in this place. God, that they would become aware of your love. God, I pray that they'd become aware of the fingerprint of Jesus on their lives. Thank you that you have been working. And I pray, God, that this morning, is your sons and daughters will become aware of that which you have done. And I bless them in the name of Jesus. I thank you for your presence that comes in and that heals right now. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just turn to one another. Let's just discuss that. What are the, what are the tools, perhaps, even, that God has given you to break down walls, barriers between people and people groups? Um, and let's just share and pray if you have the opportunity. God bless.